Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is The Goat is Gone. The Goat is Gone. Some of you are like, I feel like I've heard this before. The classic goat is gone story. I have this, uh, this moment that sort of uh, melted into my brain from when I was a kid. I was probably like seven, eight years old. And uh, I have this specific experience. Okay, we don't need to put up all the pictures. Uh, some of you are noticing my pink shoes. And I just want you to know the love of pink goes back, okay? It's been around for a long time. I don't know why I have three shirts on in the summertime in this picture. But I was like, which pink should I do? Pink on pink on pink. I just layered it up. And around this, also, I do just want to say, if anybody wants a picture with me today, this is the pose I'm doing, okay? I just want that to go out. This is the pose I'm doing from here on out. If you want a picture with me, it's going to be like... It's going to be all over Facebook. When I was about this age, I, I, we moved to a new place, and I had made some new friends and I finally got to go over and hang out at one of my friend's houses, and I was really excited. And there were, it was two kids. It was this kid who was a year younger than me and his little brother. And I went over to their house, and we were going to build this fort in the backyard, and I was very excited about it. And so uh, his mom was like, hey, I'm going to trust you guys to be here. I'm going to go to the grocery store. She left, and then we're at home just sort of playing. And of course, when you're trying to dig a fort in the dirt in a backyard, you need tools. And so, of course, we're going in and out of the house, like trying to get tools. And by that, I mean like, like a cheese grater, you know what I mean? A fork. We need a spatula, a plunger, you know, whatever you can find in the house. And so we're getting all this stuff and we're out in the backyard digging around and she gets home. And I knew she was home because I heard somebody yell and it freaked us all out. And so we all ran into the house and she's standing in the middle of the living room and she's just pointing at the ground. And she had this very luscious cream carpet that she was very proud of. And she's pointing down at these muddy tracks that are just all up and down this carpet. And uh, it had been like many marches in and out. And she's like, who did this? And she had a demon voice, I swear. And before we could even answer, we're all three just standing there. She points at her youngest kid and she was like, it was you, wasn't it, Jared? And he's like, oh, no. And then right as she says that, I look down and realize my shoes are caked in mud. And as she's saying it was you, and apparently this kid has done some other stuff, you know, uh, she's got a history with him. I look down and I'm like, I'm guilty. And so obviously he's taking the blame for something that I did. And I did what anyone would do. I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I just sort of slinked away, like got, got out of there, right? And I, I, I go in the bathroom and she's like looking at him and he's defending himself. And I get in there and I shut the door and I lock it and I pop my shoes off and I'm like, what do I do? And so I'm trying to like wash, you know, wash them off and it's not working. And I'm like, I got to get rid of the evidence, right? I mean, this is pre-CSI, but I've always been paranoid, you guys. And I'm not going to get pinned, a crime pinned on me. And so I'm like, what do I do? And so I pop the window, push the screen out. I throw my shoes out the window it's not a long-term plan, okay? I was seven or eight, right? 
And so I throw the shoes out the window and then I'm just like, oh, then she's gonna be like, you know, where are your shoes? And so I'm looking around and I see that on the edge of the tub, there are these like, these two like pink flip-flops. And so I take my socks and I take those off and I bury them in the bottom of the trash, right? Which got weird because I had to lift up some old Q-tips and put it under there. You guys know how to cover stuff up. And then I put on the pink flip-flops were a little big for me and I just walked out like all cash. Just sort of stood there, and she's like, let me see everybody's feet. And she's looking, and like a little bit dirty, a little bit dirty on there. And then she looks at me, and she's like, huh, I feel like I have some flip-flops that are very close to those. And I was like, <laughs> I got to go home. And I just left. I just, I literally, I walked out the front door. I, my mom wasn't going to pick me up for a couple hours. I lived like two miles away. And so I just walked out and I just started walking home very quickly. And I, you know, some of you are like, didn't you feel guilty? And I felt a little bit guilty. Okay. But I, you know, when I had that little voice, I was like, maybe you should turn back and maybe you should go and check on him. But like, I, okay, come on guys. I might've looked cute, but this is what was on the inside. Okay, everybody. And, and you know this is extra true because as I was walking away, just as I was like, maybe I should turn back. I, and I lived, I grew up in the time where you would get spankings as a kid. Anybody remember those days, right? Um, and where it was just like, yeah, we all do child abuse. It's just, come on in, you know what I mean? And I was walking and I heard him be like, no! And I heard like a, a snap and I was like, I know that's a wooden spoon sound. And instead of saving him, I just sped walk all the way home in flip-flops. I was like, and I was just trying to get out of there. Some people ask first service, they're like, well, what about the shoes? What happened to the shoes, right? I stayed awake all night thinking about those shoes. I was like, this is how they get you. They're going to catch me. And so I got up before school extra early and I went and I got the shoes and I threw them in a dumpster on a different block. Huh? And I got to be honest, like, you know, even though this is like a long time ago and there's parts of it that are kind of funny, just thinking about this story makes me feel a little sick to my stomach because I, I don't like that I did that. And I, here's what I wonder. I wonder if you have a story kind of like this in your own life where there was a moment maybe where you slinked back and you let someone else take the fall for something that you did. Or maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe, maybe, maybe you poked fun at someone else in order to, to keep the attention off yourself. You piled on to that situation or that person so that no one would pay attention to you and what you did. Or maybe your story is you had a moment where you took something out on someone even though it had little to do with them. And maybe, maybe you didn't even realize that you had done this until after it already happened. It was over. And you looked back and you, you were honest with yourself and you're like, okay, I shouldn't, I was anxious, I was upset, I was insecure and they were there and they were an easy target and it just, it happened. And if you've ever done one of these things before, you should know that you are going to hell and there is no hope. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. No, I, in fact, what you really should know is that you're not the only one. In fact, I think if you look around, you're gonna see that this sort of stuff is everywhere. 
Like, doesn't it feel that there are certain seasons where every person on social media is like, you know, ripping into and making fun of the same exact person for something that they said or did? Or maybe, maybe you've been scrolling across your feed and you see this horrific news story of a group of people who got upset and singled in on one person and did something horrible or violent to that person. Or maybe there was this like enormous social issue that was sort of erupting everywhere. And, you know, people just started pinning it on a single politician. And it was like, it became cool for everyone just to hate that person in particular. Or maybe the frustration of of some unwanted experience, maybe it got blamed on an entire people group because of where they were from or what they looked like or what they believed or something that they did or the color of their skin. There's a name for this. It's called scapegoating. The scapegoating is essentially singling out a person or group of people to pin on and punish for the wrongdoings, mistakes, and faults of others. And here's what's crazy. We all do this. Like scapegoating happens across every demographic, every socioeconomic bracket, every ethnicity, every political persuasion. And it's such a deep rooted part of our human nature that it even worms its way into our stories and into our shows and into our movies. You know how many movies uh, like are essentially surrounding a plot of scapegoating? I mean, I'll just name a few of them. The Hunger Games, you guys have seen this, right? All like we're a tribute volunteers to be scapegoated so that the entire district can go free if they fight. Or the Lion King, right? Like some of you won't watch it anymore because it makes you so mad, right? When Mufasa dies and they blame it on Simba and it was Scar, everybody, it was Scar. And no one believes him, right? And they blame it on him and they run him out into the wilderness, right? And then he just, like, he just, he thinks that he's done it and he's to blame. And everyone's like, everyone can be at peace now because we got rid of the problem, you know? And yeah, he meets some friends and they sing some catchy songs, but like still, it's wrong. And then there's like the Purge series, right? Essentially where there's one day a year where everybody gets to, gets permission, right? Consequence free to channel all their anger and aggression and fear and frustration on anybody they want to without having to be held responsible. It's like a free pass to scapegoat whoever you want to, however you want to. And I know you're thinking like, yeah, these are just movies. But in reality, people have been doing this in real life throughout history, Virtually every single human society has had some sort of scapegoating ritual since the dawn of man. Why? I think it's because everyone eventually discovers dark parts of themselves that they're afraid to face and unable to fix on their own. And we wrestle with them but we don't always win. And sometimes we give in to these dark parts of our heart. And when we do, and we do that thing that we know we shouldn't do, and we exercise that selfishness, and we have this feeling that settles down on our soul afterwards, we don't know where to aim the shame. 
And so we start looking for a scapegoat. Someone to blame. Someone to hold responsible. Someone to make pay. And it's, it's probably going to have to be somebody who's different, right? Somebody, they may have been with us, but they were really never one of us to begin with. Someone, someone who doesn't look right or who doesn't talk right, or who doesn't think right or who doesn't act right because they're the problem. And, I, and you can tell because they're not normal. And so it's their fault. And, and, and the more we think about them, the angrier we get at them. And the more convinced we become that they are the reason that, that, that nothing good ever happens to me. That, that nothing good ever takes place in my family. That my story isn't working out. And, and, and we start telling ourselves, if we could just get rid of them, that'd make everything all right. Things, things would somehow reset to normal. I would feel normal. Because the problem isn't in here somewhere with me. It's out there with them. And you've done this. Probably not even on purpose, at least not at first. But it's just, it's so much easier to blame others for our failures and our frustrations than it is to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. It's so much easier to scapegoat. And Jesus' early followers were aware of this because both the religious Jewish culture and the, the secular Greco-Roman culture that they all grew up in had deep-seated scapegoating rituals. Let me sort of explain this to you. First off, Jewish life and and Christianity began as a sect of Judaism because Jesus and his disciples were Jewish. Jewish life was marked by seven religious festivals or feasts. And the Hebrew word for feast is mikra, which means rehearsal. And so each of these festivals or feasts were essentially, uh, they were symbols of or rehearsals for something that this whole people group believed was yet to come. One of the festivals called Rosh Hashanah marked the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And it began with what they called 10 days of awe. And it was essentially a period of time set aside for self-reflection and examination. And the idea was to search out your, your heart and to try and surface the dark parts of yourself that you'd spent the rest of the year trying to avoid or ignore or hide from. And the, the, the end of the 10 days, the festival culminated in a ritual on what was the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And atonement is a big fancy bible word that essentially means to cover over. And that was the point of this whole festival, is that you would bring up and you would present your sin and then it would be covered over by God. And this ritual worked in a very particular way. I'm gonna show you how. Leviticus chapter 16 Verse seven, I know you came here thinking like, man, I, why doesn't anybody ever preach out of Leviticus? We're going there, you guys. We're gonna do it. Leviticus chapter 16, verse seven says this. The priest must take two goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. The high priest will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, did you know this is where that phrase came from? The scapegoat chosen by lot will be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord 
And when it's sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So I know this is like old and, and like, you know, Old Testament, and, and it feels like this really ancient ritual. So let me just sort of summarize. Okay, there's two goats, right? I brought a picture just in case you're confused what we're talking about. Two goats, actual goats, because I know some of you are just like, I don't know when you're talking about goat. Every time I see a meme, it's just Tom Brady. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. We're talking about actual, real, cute goats with a goat tea. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And there's two of them. And uh, they have individual purposes. There's the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat. One was needed to cover over the sin and the other was needed to carry away the sin. You need both. The first goat would be, um, would be killed and, and essentially barbecued as a sacrifice unto God. And then the scapegoat would be banished. It would be sent to the wilderness, uh, they, uh, this place that they called Azazel, which in Hebrew meant take away or away with. And the book of Leviticus goes on to say that in, the, in verse 21, that the priest will lay both of his hands on the goat's head to confess over it the, wicked, the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of all the people. Some of you are like, that's gonna take a while because I know what I've done. And in this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. And then a man specifically chosen for the task, could you get any more vague, will drive the goat into the wilderness and it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. And I get that this sounds like a really old, ancient, out-of-touch thing. But what you need to understand to understand this story is that what these people watched happen physically to them was a representation of what they believed was actually happening spiritually. They believed that in that moment, all of their brokenness and guilt and sin and shame was being placed on the goat. In fact, they would take this scarlet cord and they would wrap it around the head of the goat to represent the sin of all the people and they believed that when the goat left, their sin left with it. That in that moment, something supernatural transpired and you no longer carried around what you carried into the festival. The goat now carried it into the wilderness. And when the people watched the entire city gathered among the streets and they would watch as the goat would disappear into the distance, they would hold their breath and silence would fall over all of the streets. And the people had this sense that the sin in their life was lifting off their shoulders and that this overwhelming sense of gratitude and relief was taking its place. And once the goat was completely out of sight, once it had, had sort of exited on the horizon, the whole city would erupt in celebration. They would feast and cheer and party and drink wine. And why did they do this? Because they believed that they were rehearsing for heaven. Now, after the, the goat was released into the wilderness by the man specifically chosen for the task, remember that guy? He comes back. He would return. And the goat was no longer with him. The goat was lost or gone or dead. But the man would bring back with him the scarlet cord. And some legend says that it was placed on the altar for a few days, but it would eventually end up on the gate, the entrance into the tabernacle or the temple. 
And over the course of the next year, that cord would turn from red to white, from the color scarlet to the color of snow, which kind of makes me think of this piece of of poetry written by the prophet Isaiah in a book he humbly named after himself, Isaiah. Maybe you've heard this. He, He said, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Anybody who had heard that during this time in history would have been like, oh yeah, like the cord on the gate. I get it. Maybe you're like, this is interesting, okay? Um, I'm glad you're super into history, but this is very weird. And a lot of religious traditions are weird. And I agree with you, they are. But what makes this really fascinating to me is that the secular Greco-Roman culture Jesus grew up in also had a scapegoating tradition, except they didn't sacrifice animals. They sacrificed people. Like when something bad happened, when there was a flood or a famine, when the people were suffering because something had happened situationally or culturally, and there was this sort of fever pitch moment, all of the people, the Greek people would pick a human scapegoat to pin the blame on and punish. And they called this person the pharmacos. It was usually, it could be anybody, but it was usually somebody from the margins of society, maybe uh, a criminal or a slave, or maybe just somebody that everybody thought was really ugly. That sounds made up, but it's true. And in a society where it feels like at any moment that anybody could be scapegoated, what ends up happening is everybody quickly scapegoats somebody else as fast as they can. Sounds like cancel culture, doesn't it? I don't want people to turn on me. And so if I turn on them, I can refocus the attention. It creates a culture of paranoia and finger pointing. And in this culture, the crowds would gather to torture and humiliate the pharmacos. They would project all of their pent up fear and anger and pain and disappointment onto their chosen scapegoat. And they would beat and taunt and yell at and spit on that person, sometimes for days on end. And when their ritual was complete, they would all encircle the pharmacos and they would like lead them to the edge of a cliff. And as the the crowd would scream, they would shove them off the cliff and watch as they fell to their death. And they did this ritualistically because they believed that they had to destroy someone else in order to save themselves. It had to be done. The pharmacos was ironically both the poison and the cure. Also, if that word sounds familiar, it's because pharmacos is the, the, the word origin for pharmacy, which is the place that we go to, you know, purchase potentially poisonous substances in order to cure ourselves of sickness. And maybe you're like, that is awesome. What does this have to do with Easter? When are we going to talk about (laughs) Easter? And that is a good point you bring up, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep in mind everything I just told you while I read you something that was written about Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 1 says this. The official had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him, hail, king of the Jews. They mocked as they slapped him across the face. And the official said to the people, I'm gonna bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. 
So Jesus was beaten, taunted, yelled at, and spit upon. A crown of thorns was placed on him, creating a scarlet ring of blood around his head. And as the the people were angry about all the suffering and injustice they saw around them, they wanted someone to pay. And Jesus may well have been innocent, but he was different. He didn't talk right. He didn't act right. He didn't think right. He was the problem. And if they could just get rid of him, it'd make everything right again because he was the pharmacos. He was the scapegoat. And in fact, the official offers to let Jesus go and the crowd replies to this option in verse 15. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. Away with him in Hebrew is the phrase Azazel. It's the crowd yelling together, Azazel, Azazel. They're literally saying, make him our scapegoat. So Jesus is led off into the wilderness and nailed to a cross to suffer and die for the wrongdoings, mistakes, and faults of other people. And as he hangs there on the cross in great torture, and takes his last breath. He whispers his last words. Jesus shouts at the sky, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What does that mean? Like we hear people say that, we see people post that, like it is finished. Great, what is it? What is finished? Like his life? This moment of torture, his movement, or is he talking about something else? Is he talking about something bigger? It says right before this that, that Jesus knew that his mission had been completed. What mission? Like, what is going on here? And one of the first Jesus followers who believed that something bigger was happening here, then maybe the people in the midst could see at the time wrote this, In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, The old system was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Verse 10, God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Our high priest, Jesus, offered himself a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down. You know why you sit down? Because the work is done. Because it is finished. In other words, the message of the Easter story and everything all of this is pointing to is that Jesus wasn't a scapegoat. He was the scapegoat. A once and for all sacrifice made for all of humanity. He took upon himself the sin and shame, not just of a person or of a particular group of people for a particular year or time in history. He took upon himself the sins of all people. And unlike every other scapegoat that had existed, this wasn't forced upon him. He chose it. It's what he came to do. It was his mission. And this is what makes the Jesus story unbelievably unique. 
That in, in, instead, like all other God figures or God stories at this time in history, instead of requiring that we sacrifice ourselves to appease him, this God willingly sacrifices himself to absolve us. In other words, our God, knowing that we discover parts of ourselves that we are afraid to face and unable to fix on our own, knowing that when we do something wrong, that when we recognize these parts of ourselves and how damaging they are to us and the people around us, that we struggle with where to aim our shame, knowing that we seek out scapegoats to pin on and punish for our problems. This God places himself inside the human stories, throws open his arms on a cross as if to say to all humanity, if you need to scapegoat someone, scapegoat me. Why would he do that? To stop the insanity, to break the pattern to set you free. And just before he dies, Jesus screams at the sky, it is finished. And by this, he means that every other sacrificial system is now done over and obsolete. Which means that the Easter message, the gospel message that Jesus died in hopes that you would tuck into your heart is that you don't need to shame yourself or anybody else anymore because Jesus took all the blame for all of us. And why would anybody believe that he could pull that off? That this person would have the authority to do something like that because he did something that only God can do. He brought himself back to life. Like everybody at this time in history had seen a lot of scapegoats die, but no one had ever seen one come back to life. The Mishnah is this ancient Jewish text that's, that's written by Jews that actually don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And inside the Mishnah, they make a note of something that happened historically in 30 AD, which is consequently about the time that Jesus dies on the cross. And what they say is that the scarlet cord that they had traditionally every time at this, during this festival in this year, that they had hung on the gate, that for some weird, mysterious reason, that around this time, it stopped turning from red to white. It's as if these, these scholars, these historians were saying without even knowing it that at that moment, the previous sacrificial system had been replaced. It was finished. No more goats need to die for what God already did. I get that, like we live in a different time and place, like that we may not sacrifice goats or push people off cliffs anymore. At least I hope you are not doing that. I don't know what your weekend looks like. <laughs> but you know what we do? We accuse, we blame, we vilify, we cancel one another, we attack, we hurt, we victimize each other. It's almost like we can't help it. If you look back through the halls of human history, we have always done this thing. And we keep doing it over and over and over again. 
Every person that has ever been, every people group, we keep echoing this thing again and again and again. No matter how much technology we acquire, no matter how much education we get, no matter how advanced we become, we still seek out scapegoats to punish for what feels broken inside us. Because until we understand our spiritual need for a supernatural scapegoat, we'll keep picking and punishing natural ones. Every time I think of this ancient scene, I think of the Day of Atonement, I think of, of the ancient streets packed with people, silent, watching this goat with the scarlet cord strapped to its head, exiting into the distance, disappearing over the horizon, all of the people holding their breath until the moment that represented that their sin was gone. And I always wonder, like, if when everyone erupted in celebration, if there were ever just like one or two people that didn't. A handful of people that just sat there, like as everybody was exiting and going to a party, finding something good to eat and drink, some people to laugh with, some stories to tell. If there were people that just sat there on the side of the street. Who despite what had been done in the confines of their own heart, they, they held on to the shame that the goat just symbolically took away. They couldn't let it go. And although everybody else was free, they sat on the street still stuck in their shame. And I got to tell you, like, if you don't choose to accept what Jesus did for you, you will live the rest of your life as if it is not true. You'll keep punishing yourself. You'll keep torturing yourself. You'll keep taking it out on other people. And I wonder if this is here, if you decided to do something different, if you decided to stop punishing yourself for something that's already been paid for. What if you decided you were going to let it go? You were going to lay it down. You were going to stop carrying it around. I wonder if whatever that thing is that happened that you did or was done to you that sticks to your soul, that shame that you carry everywhere you go, I wonder if you were able to picture that thing and you were to picture it being placed on the head of the goat I wonder if symbolically you could imagine it being carried off into the distance, watching that shame walk away from you, knowing it was gone and it was never coming back. I wonder what that realization would do for you. You know what I think would be probably the greatest way to commemorate this Easter is for you to trust that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to save you. And as a result, you start doing the good you would do if shame wasn't an issue. What if? What if you decided that you didn't need to punish yourself, you didn't need to punish anybody else? What if you decided to exit the human pattern that Jesus came to free us from? What if you took all of that 
and put it on the shoulders of Jesus as your ultimate sacrifice and your ultimate scapegoat and you let it go. I think for a lot of us, there's all sorts of dreams. There's things that we wanna do and things that we wanna be and things that we feel like we feel called to, we feel impassioned about. There's good that we want to contribute and bring into the world, but we can't take steps in that direction because our shame tells us that we don't deserve it, that we're not enough for it. That until we free ourselves from this thing, we are stuck where we are. But here's the secret, you are already free. but it doesn't take effect until you begin to believe it in the deepest parts of your own soul. You know what the the early church did when they allowed themselves to embrace Jesus as their once and for all sacrifice and scapegoat? In the book of Acts, the early church, we see that they stop scapegoating other people and instead start serving other people. And it changes everything. In fact, it turns the tide of history. It turns the world upside down. And why? Why does this happen? Because once shame stops limiting you, there's nothing that can stop you. And this is why Jesus said, that thing that's holding you back and holding you down, it's done. It's finished. Believe it's done. Walk away and follow me. And that's what I want to pray in your life today. Because I think for some of you, you have no idea why you're here. It's like a favor to mom. Like grandma's still a Christian, so we got it. You heard there was donuts. It's for the kids. And what if all that was just some random excuse that the creator of the universe leveraged to put you in a place in which everyone is celebrating Jesus, a sacrifice and scapegoat. That all, 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 all across the world that Christians are pausing as if to like line the streets of everywhere and to fill buildings across the world and celebrate and feast and party because of what Jesus did, they don't have to carry around that stuff anymore. And what if you are the person that will sit in the middle of the party still sad in your shame? Today, maybe today is the day that you get to party too. Maybe today is the day you believe that it really is finished. Maybe today is the day you believe that you can be free. Would you bow your heads across this room? I wanna just... I want to pray for all of you, but I want to pray for a few of you specifically. And with everyone's eyes closed, it's just a moment of privacy for people. Maybe you're in a space where you're like, man, I, you have no idea how much I beat myself up. I don't need another scapegoat. I've been scapegoating myself for years. There's so many things I hate about me. I'm suffering. Maybe you look at your life and you realize like how you, you always need somebody to fight. You always need somebody to blame and somebody to hold down. Maybe you're realizing in this moment that maybe that is not really about them. It's about something that's broken in you. Maybe today you want to be done. 
Maybe today you want to be free. Maybe today you want to be restored and resurrected and redeemed and renewed. Maybe today is the day that the words, it is finished, that were screamed at the sky 2,000 years ago feel true to you today. And if you're in a place where you want to embrace what Jesus did for you, and step in the freedom that he died and rose to give you, I want you just to bravely slip up your hand as I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you specifically that God would change you from the inside out. Awesome. God, I know you see every heart. I know you saw every hand. I know you you see the, the people in this room whose hearts are so broken because of things that they have been through and survived. They don't even have the strength to raise a hand. But you are strong when we are weak. And it's in the moments when we come to you and say, I can't do it anymore. I surrender to you. I'm done shaming myself. I'm done shaming other people. I'm done playing this game where if I can just blame enough and pay enough and sacrifice enough, It'll be enough and it never will be because the price has already been paid. And today, God, I pray that you would invade our hearts, our lives, our minds. And in this moment, in our desperation, we would have the same sensation of the people long ago who lined the streets and watched the goat take everything that they had ever done or thought or experienced that was wrong and shameful away into the horizon. Your word says that you... You take our sin and you hide it away. You push it into the wilderness. You throw it into the abyss. And God, I pray that in this moment, we would have this sense with every minute that passes, it's like the goat takes another step into the wilderness and we feel a little bit more free. God, I pray that we would believe in our heart of hearts that it really is finished, that we would stop scapegoating ourselves and each other, that we would start serving one another as you served us. And God, as we embrace your love, your grace, and your forgiveness, there would be this sense that we can be free. God, may we move out of this space today, away from our shame and towards all of the good that you've inspired us to do. Because shame is no longer an issue. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Can we just go Old Testament and cheer as if we are preparing for heaven? Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.